When I was growing up, going out to eat at a restaurant was kind of a big deal. Uh, we didn't do it very often. Um, every once in a while, there might be Chinese takeout or food picked up from Grandy's on a random Thursday night. But actually getting all fixed up and going out, usually it'd be on a Saturday, and we'd been working in the yard all day or cleaning the house, and we'd get all showered in clean clothes and probably go with another family. Um, and we'd go, and all the adults would be in the seatbelts, and the kids would all pile in the back of the station wagon or the Explorer or whatever we had. And uh, there wasn't much to eat in North Garland back in those days. About all I remember is the Burger King there on Buckingham in front of the Tom Thumb. So we would usually drive into Richardson or Plano. And my favorite, and probably our most regular, was our family Tex-Mex place, Mario's Chiquita. And it was in Plano. Um, it used to be off of Parker back there behind the Burlington Coat Factory, kind of by the Bavarian Grill there. And it had pink tablecloths and napkins folded into crowns and the dolls from Mexico in the case on the wall and the big bouquets of paper flowers. And over the years, we got to know the staff and they got to know my family. Um, and that was our place to go. But of course, my brother always had to ask, is this fast food or slow food? <laughs> Mario's Chiquita was definitely slow food. So what do you do at the restaurant when you're trying to be a good kid waiting on your slow food after the obligatory putting the crown napkin on your head, of course, which the whole family participated in? Well, at Chiquita, it was sugar packets. We would empty out the sweetener stand there, only the real sugar, because the other sweeteners didn't have it. But on the sugar packets, there were little words of wisdom, little sayings, and probably other restaurants had them, but Mario's Chiquita is where I remember them. And Jeremy and I would pull those out, and we would spread them out on the table and try to find all the different ones and um, see how many we could memorize. And they said funny things on them, like, uh, never make excuses, your friends don't need them, and your enemies won't believe you anyway. <laughs> or um, one of them was, uh, he who rows the boat generally does not have time to rock it. <laughs> I called my brother to see if he could remember any, and it's funny, now as an adult, he's in sales, and the one that he remembered, and the longest, I think, is, um, he who has something to sell and goes and whispers in a well is not so apt to get the dollar as he who climbs a tree and hollers. <laughs> yes, they fit that on a sugar packet. <laughs> oh, we had so much fun with those. And when I first read Psalm 1, it reminded me a little bit of sugar packet wisdom. <laughs> because all those sayings were really about you had two choices. Were you going to be the wise person or the foolish person? Were you going to be successful or not successful? Was your life going um, to be valuable or was it just going to fall apart? And Psalm 1 has a little bit of that because clear as day in the very first Psalm, there are two choices. It is black and white. It is clear cut. 
And one is the way of God, and one is the way of the wicked and the sinner and the one who will be blown away. And I wondered at this. Out of all the things that happen in the Psalms, why would the compiler of the Psalms, 150 choices, why do we start here with sugar packet wisdom? Because the Psalms, I mean, they share some of our most vulnerable and deepest wrestlings with God. The Psalms are ultimately the prayers of God's worshiping people when the community comes together. And whether we are praising the Lord or whether we are in the valley of the shadow of death, the Psalms hit home. And this one seems a a little bit mm, sugar packet. A little surface? Maybe, perhaps, that's just why we begin here. Because this is a little bit more accessible. It's a little bit easier to dip our toe in the water and begin slow rather than just dive right into the deep and the depths of the Psalms. So Psalm 1 does kind of set the stage for us for the whole rest of the book. I mean, we do the same thing in life, don't we? When you go to Sunday school, we start with a community gathering time where you're fellowshipping and getting to know each other again and catching up from the week. We do it in worship. We begin with a prelude and a call to worship and a hymn before we get to the deep, before we meet our Lord at the table. You do it in your workplaces too. Whenever you have a conference or a workshop and they start with coffee and danishes. And we start, we begin with that transition from the world where we have been to this world. And a reminder of what it is that God is inviting us to. Right here, plain as day, there are two ways. And we have come here to meditate on and reflect on the ways of our God and to receive assurance that in these ways our blessing and happiness, as the psalm calls it, that this is the way that leads to life. That the other which tempts us so much during so many of our days that distracts us and worries us, that those are not the ways of the Lord. But here we begin and we enter the Psalms and remember that these are the ways of God and the psalmist invites us to come in. To come in and remember what it is to be in right relationship with God. And perhaps by right relationship, a a helpful way to understand that might not be that we do everything perfectly, that we have totally mastered this stuff and that we don't wrestle with those two choices anymore, but that we are authentic in our relationship with God. I want to give you an example of that. Um, Two Fridays ago, I took this year's confirmation class over to Temple Emmanuel in Dallas. And we've been going there for years. And every year I learned something new. Well, this year's docent highlighted a few pieces of art 
that I don't remember seeing before. And one of the pieces of art was of Jacob in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, of Jacob at night, wrestling. Remember? Jacob wrestling. And in the morning, after Jacob, they've wrestled all night, his name is changed. God likes to do this in the Old Testament. His name is changed. Do you remember what it is changed to? Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. One who wrestles with God is what it means. One who struggles and wrestles with God. And that's who the people at the temple understand themselves to be. They are people who wrestle with God. Because yes, in the Psalms and in scriptures, we are called to praise the Lord our God in all of God's majesty and wonder. But also the Psalms completely acknowledge that this is real life and that our struggles are real and that God is in the thick of it with us. And that's where we come to be authentic with God. That's what the psalmist calls us to here, to meditate upon God's word day and night, to wrestle and stay in that wrestling Because even if we decide to be the wise person on that sugar packet, we have to decide again and again and again. It's not that all of a sudden life becomes just blissful and easy. We have to decide again and again and again and continue to be the people that God calls us to be. And we stay in that wrestling. We don't leave the fight. Maybe for a couple of reasons. One is that It takes that time to get through that wrestling and to make that discernment. It takes time, and so we stay in it to see what it is that God would call us to be and to see how these situations are going to turn out. But also, I think, because deep inside of us, there is that hope and that light and that faith that this wrestling is the way that leads to life. As Jesus was telling his disciples in the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you. Again, not because of the troubles of this world are going to go away, but because God is with us in these struggles and because this is the way that leads to life. And so we are called in this very beginning psalm to wrestle and to struggle, to be those who wrestle with God. This psalm might be a little bit familiar to you. Um, It is to me, part of it at least, because I think I learned it as a youth (laughs) in choir. There was an anthem that we sang once upon a time that is still used from time to time. And the words are like a tree that's planted by the water. I will not be moved. And that is stuck in my head all these years. But you know what? The writer of that anthem cheated me just a little bit. Because, did you catch what the psalm actually said? It is not like a tree planted by the water. Trees! It is plural. And that was a great happy surprise to me when I read this psalm. 
There is not one single solitary tree standing out there being an oasis. There are so many trees planted by the water. Have you ever been driving out in the desert, out west, and you see on your map that there is a river close by, but of course you can't see it because it's down in some canyon, but you know exactly where it is because off in the distance, there is this whole bank, mile of trees growing up and sprouting from that water, that life-giving water, the water of our baptism that nourishes us and sustains us and fills us with grace. And we do that together. Together with God, absolutely. But those trees, that's you and me and this whole community together, reflecting, discerning, wrestling, and being that canopy when that all those trees come together and creates that wonderful canopy under which we can rest. Rest in our faith, rest in a safe and sacred space to drink deeply of God's presence, to reflect deeply on who God is calling us to be. Because the rest of that scripture is a mess. There is movement all over the place. The wicked and the sinners and the scoffers, they can't sit still. Did you notice that? All the verbs that have to do with these folks in our psalm, they're just all over the place, creating chaos and a swirl. And we feel that. Don't you feel that in our lives, in our culture, in our world? So much swirling, so much anxiety and stress, so much chaos. But what are the trees doing? Deeply rooted, deeply planted, not being moved, standing together with the presence of God and with one another, creating that space where we can say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, where we can come together in times of chaos, in times of trouble, in times of wrestling with, with what seems like simple sugar packet wisdom. And maybe that's your world right now. I know we've been talking a lot around here about that might be the world of the United Methodist denomination right now. There is so much swirling. There is so much potentially moving. And yet, the psalmist reminds us, stay in it. Wrestle with God. Stay in it with one another. Discern. Come to that safe place because this is where we meet God to do the work that God has called us to do because those trees that are deeply rooted aren't blowing off like the wicked in the wind. In their season, their leaves spring forth and they are bearing fruit. They are bearing fruit to a world that is hungry bearing fruit so we may feast deeply and be nourished. May we enter the Psalms. May we continue to meditate and pray on the ways that God would have us to go. Lord, in your goodness, hear our prayer.